Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 423 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, the main man himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week? I'm doing great, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show, though. There's a lot to go over. Um, I'm going to start here last Thursday at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, live on ESPN, live on Sky Sports here in the UK. couple fights to mention on the undercard. Um, yeah, Emiliano Vargas. One of the many Fernando Vargas sons, now 8-0, a KO for him in round two against Brandon Mendoza, now 6-3. Abdullah Mason, now 11-0, a TKO for him in just the second round against Jose Cardenas, who's now 7-2. You know, he only had one loss on his record, and I don't think he'd been stopped, and I expected a few rounds here. You know, I think I put a small little bet on Abdullah Mason winning on points, that that looked terrible when he when he got the TKO in round two. Also on the card, Troy Isley with a real test against the very, uh, you know, the very game Vladimir Hernandez. He's a bit of an upsetter, and he tried once again to spoil the party and upset the odds and take another man's O. But yeah, Troy Isley, a little bit too good. Managed to win very narrowly, uh, but unanimously over eight rounds. Troy Isley, friend of the show, now 11-0. Vladimir Hernandez now... 14 and 6 and moving up to the two main fights let's start with um let's start with Navarrete he's now 38 and 1 with a draw not the way he wanted his 40th fight to go uh, yeah you know a majority draw over 12 rounds against Robson Conceição of Brazil now now 17 and 2 with a draw not the way he would have wanted his 20th pro fight to go Conceição down twice in the fight a defense of Navarrete's WBO world super featherweight title um very very confusing performance from Navarrete I'm sure you've got something to say on it Eddie but firstly I'm going to run through my thoughts round 1 I gave to Concisau. It didn't take him long to find his range in there. Um, round two, I thought was a close round. A lot of people gave this round to Navarrete. I thought it could have gone either way. Navarrete did start to turn up the pressure towards the end of the round, and he'd been very patient prior to that. Concisau looked quite comfortable as well. I think that has to be said. He started the fight very comfortable. Round three, a clear round for Concisau. There's an argument he could have been free up after three rounds. Um, such better footwork, you know, really good jab, very elusive. Navarrete at times was trying to throw the long left uppercut and it was falling short. It was missing by miles. Navarrete looked really bad in that third round. Maybe some early frustration starting to kick in. But yeah, he was repeatedly being counterpunched by Conceição. Um 
Round four, just as I was thinking it was going to be a long night for Navarrete, he finally lands one of those long left uppercuts that I said kept missing. Uh, it was a bit of a delayed reaction from Concesao. He kind of took a backward step, but Navarrete knew he was hurt. He jumped on him. Concesao cautiously took a knee. 10-8 round for Navarrete. Um, Navarrete didn't really get the chance to follow up on it, you know, in, in the rest of that fourth round, but still 10-8 round for him. He was back in the fight. Um, round five, a Concesao round for me. He looks strong again. His jab was as important as ever, keeping Navarrete at range. Uh, Navarrete, you know, didn't seem to be using much of a jab himself. So Concesao, when he was, you know, using his jab, was clearly, you know, scoring with it. He didn't really have any any punch from Navarrete to go up against when the pair were in kind of jabbing range. It was Concesao's fight. Round six, Concesao round again for me. Good action in that round, but again, that, that lack of a jab from Navarrete I felt was costing him points. He was walking into a lot of jabs. Concesao maybe was showing early signs of tiredness, I thought, perhaps. Um, round seven, Navarrete obviously scored another knockdown. Kind of came out of nowhere, really. Concesao go, you know, goes down and, and claims it shouldn't have been a knockdown. It was a long looping right hook to the body of Concesao. Um, the replay, it was it was hard to kind of hard to tell really if it should have been or not. Um, I think obviously in real time it would have been even harder. But you know, another ten eight round against him. Um, Round 8, Concesao, I gave that round again. Navarrete looked slow, he just couldn't pin Concesao down. Concesao, again, I felt was the much better boxer of the two. But I was really stunned that Concesao was consistently outworking and outthrowing Navarrete, even that deep in the fight. Round 8, you know, he's not necessarily a high-volume guy, and he's certainly not a high-volume guy like Navarrete is. Not only was he the better boxer in there, the better mover, picking his shots better, but he was actually outworking a man that usually outworks and overwhelms guys. So he was kind of boxing his own normal style and Navarrete's style and winning both of those, uh, you know, those encounters, if you like. I gave round nine to Contessao again. Um, I've got to really tally this up, actually. But yeah, round 10, quite honestly, was a round of two halves. Concesao started well. Navarrete finished well. Really close one. Um, I, I think I just about edged it to Navarrete, but could have gone either way. Another close round. Round 11, I thought, was another close round. Navarrete had much more snap in his punches, though, comparing the two in that 11th. Concesao has had fought his heart out and, and was kind of slapping his punches at that point. Trying his best, though. And Navarrete... Probably probably pinched that round just based on how, how much power was still in his shots, the ones that landed. And round 12, I actually gave the, the, the final round to Concesao. Very surprising from Navarrete, who seemed to have more left in the tank than Concesao, but didn't fight like it was a close fight and that he needed that round. Very close fight in the end. Um, oh, I actually did tally up my scorecard. I didn't realize that, but yeah, I had it. 114-113 for Concesao. I thought he just nicked it. Uh, but yeah, Navarrete, bitterly disappointing. I don't know if it was just too much of a quick turnaround after that fight of the year contender against Valdez just a couple months ago. I don't know if maybe he just needed a little bit more of a rest. But yeah, he did not seem his old self. It was a baffling performance. Very, very disappointing. And I expected much more. I thought he'd probably stop Concesao. And like I say, on my card, I had it to Concesao just by a point. Um, I want to get your take on it, Eddie, because yeah, for me... 
Not really the Navarrete that we were speaking about last week, saying he's never in a dull fight. I mean, it wasn't a dull fight, really, but it wasn't the kind of injection of Navarrete that we used to see him. Yeah, there was no question about it. He's generally a guy that is constantly on you in your face, pressing. But um, Constance Al, he had a game plan to not only just move and box, because a lot of times, and I said this when I watched, uh, you know, back in the day when when uh, Margarito had the loaded gloves with um, with uh, Miguel Cotto, when you move constantly and you keep giving them momentum, that kind of gives them confidence to continue to push and to continue to push. And I think what Casa South did, you know, it, 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 the effort to stand there at times and fight him off and push him back even a little kind of gave that little bit of extra to where Navarrete wasn't able to move his hands kind of as comfortable as he normally would. He had to, he had to somewhat play defense a little more than, than he normally does. Now he has a, a really good chin and he's a really good work rate, tough guy. And eventually he'll get to you, which it looked as if that was going to happen in the fight too. When the, when it got toward the middle rounds, the, the later middle rounds, but then Constance Al came back out and showing his, showing his championship level hard. He just, he just really, really wanted it. And I think he honestly fought like he wanted it more than Navarrete. And at the end of the day, sometimes that's all it takes. And it's such a big surprise when you get a guy as good at being a, a, a bully, so to speak, or aggressive and constantly keeping his, you know, keeping his hands on you. When somebody steps to them, I remember Juan Diaz some years back, Juan Diaz was like a menace. Like he would just, you know, overwhelm guys. And then he ran into Nate Campbell, who went back down. And sometimes that happens, and these guys, all of a sudden, that mystique behind what they do so well by pressing and punching and, and keeping their hands on you, they're not as good, especially if they're not a crazy puncher, which Navarrete is, which is even more surprising. But it was the heart of Contessao and, and, and I think the game plan, which I think at the end of the day is what carried it and and it was it was an excellent fight though to you know it wasn't the performance we wanted from Navarrete. One other thing I gotta mention about uh, what Navarrete did, I'm not trying to you know kick a guy when he's down, but his jab, man, he really needs to go back to the gym and really work on that jab. That jab was something that I think when he utilized it was was a detriment because of the way he threw it. He left it out there. He sometimes just literally pushed it out, and you know he gave the guy opportunities to counter with a right hand, you know, all night. And I just think in general, those are, you know, that kind of thing, even with, a, especially with a high level guy like Navarrete, that needs to be corrected in the gym. And it'll only add to his, uh, his fight game going forward. Yeah. Well said, Eddie. And, um, yeah, you mentioned as well in that, in that, um, in that, in, in that reaction, you mentioned Nate Campbell and Juan Diaz, two guys that are friends of the show had both of them on in the past. So, uh, two, two cool guys. Um, yeah, that's it for that Navarrete one. But the main event, Shakur Stevenson now 21-0. and 0, A unanimous decision over 12 rounds for the vacant WBC lightweight world title. He's now a freeweight world champion. Friend of the show again. Um, got in there with Edwin De Los Santos, 16-2 and 2 now. Um, to be honest with you, I think I'm going to actually let you take over on this one, Eddie. Um, I've got to say... I mean, it was frustrating to kind of watch at times. I mean, especially here in the UK, having to stay up really late to watch the fight live um, on a Thursday night as well, which is tough, you know, if you've got work on a Friday. But um, 
yeah, one of the worst fights I've seen in 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 a, in a long, long time. Um, Shakur didn't seem to want to step on the gas at any point, um, and yeah, the low punch count and the rest of it, it was it was really quite a poor fight actually to watch. I don't know what you thought of it, but I'd be interested to know what you know you thought of it. Uh, honestly, man, I I agree. You know what I mean? I don't think you should be proud of that offensive performance i mean he looked great great defensively he done a lot of good things uh in that and at the end of the day you know bad performances do happen from great fighters so we got to remember that um and to still in a bad situation come out on top with a win you still got to give it great you know i mean that's awesome but you cannot go and look at that and 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 say okay you know he's he's somebody we want to see again and now that pro that constitute a bit of a problem. I mean, I understand, you know, like people looked at me back in the day and they used to say about, you know, some of the things I did, my tactics, you know, defense first, but still, you know, right in front of a guy, um, you know, still called it a little boring. They didn't like that. Right. Now this guy does, you know, does that. And I mean, his is obviously <laughs> a, a, a pretty bad one in, you know, considering, I mean, it was so much, it was so much defense first. I mean, there was, there was rounds where they, they, land, I think the, the both of them landed a total of 10 punches, if that, maybe even less, sometimes a total of five or six punches, which is very difficult to uh, enjoy something like that. So I do understand, you know, guys are being upset, you know, people who, like you said, Joe, miss work, you know what I mean? Took a day off for the fight because, you know, it was on a Thursday. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of understand the beast they have. But, you know, the one thing I do understand about boxing fans, especially the the lay fans, the, 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 the you know, the guys who just have to watch it every once in a while, you know what I mean? They're really emotional about things and they react so quickly to, to things. And even some educated boxing fans do, too. And they'll look at a fight like this and say, oh, I can't believe that we were talking about he would beat Devin Haney. Now, listen, just because he performed in that way with this particular opponent, who was dangerous and could punch very good and he was fast and everything, and he still neutralized his offense, you can't, you, you can't look at the fight and how he performed this time and say that he has no chance against a guy like Devin Haney. I mean, I'm not saying that Devin Haney's not a lot better than the guy he just faced but it's a different fighter. It's a different style. It's different things that are going on. You know what I mean? Uh, the, 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 the looking at one guy and how he fought uh, one guy and, and trying to match it up with another guy doesn't work in boxing because styles make fights. But more important than that, that is not dictate how good of a fighter he is, but looking at him, it makes me even further know that what I'm saying is right about him. He knows how to win by a little bit, which is very difficult to do in a sport like this, very difficult to win by a little bit. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very, I'm not saying that, you know, he, he, he didn't win most of the rounds, but he won them by the razor thin margin. Sometimes some of the rounds he clearly won, but most of the rounds were razor thin and nobody really remembers nor cares to remember about what happened in those fights. So him being able to do that says a lot about him understanding the assignment and how it goes as far as winning. Not everybody has that, you know, certain guys make mistakes and they do things that are very low IQ in situations when you should, you should be thinking of doing something completely different. So you got, I, I understand what he did. I don't think it was 
the 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 you know most entertaining thing to watch. But in that situation, with whatever was going on in his camp or however he had to deal with it, um, his hand, whatever it was, if it, if that was even a thing. To still be able to win, understanding that you're not looking good. The same thing I think when he fought, I think he fought Nekafila too, right? And he didn't look good in that fight, right? It was similar kind of to this, but not as bad, right? Am I right, Joe? Well, I mean, he completely, well, uh, I guess in some way, not as bad, but yeah. But not as bad, right? So, but what I'm saying is I understand everyone's beef, but you cannot react like totally emotionally to fighters and how in, in some of these performances, I mean, look, different guys have had different performances. They were bad. And, you know, it's just not good to react like that off of one particular guy. This guy could possibly give guys who were higher level, not saying higher level than Shakur, because I think he's one of the highest skilled fighters in boxing, but maybe a different guy, maybe a tank, maybe tank gets in there with this guy and he gives tank problems until tank catches him and stops him. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's just what he is with this this guy presented. It could also be something was going on with Shakur. He or or it could be a thing where he just didn't see an opportunity to dominate the fight. You understand what I'm saying? And I'll and I understand the beef and you know the frustration with it. But we still got to be honest about who he is. The kid can fight. He's one of the best skilled fighters at, at, at in boxing right now. And Yes, he looked bad. He didn't. He didn't do things offensively that most would agree that he should have done, or at least tried to do. But he still won the fight. Now I'm not sitting there defending what he did. I think he needs to pick it up. I think he needs to go back to the drawing board. Whatever happened in camp, they need to they need to correct it. He needs to look really good and impressive in his next fight. Well, all the best to Shakur in his next fight. Like I say, friend of the show. We don't often criticize him on this show. Um, moving now to the Humo Arena in Tashkent, Uzbekistan over here. A couple fights to mention. The Olympic gold medalist Bakadir Jalalov now 14-0 with 14 KOs. A KO once again in the first round, his favorite round to do it. He was able to knock out Chris Thompson, who's now 12-6 with a draw. Also on the card, Ermel Hadrabij, now 17-0 with a draw. He was able to TKO in nine rounds. Carlos Molina. Um, haven't seen the fight back. I spoke to Carlos, obviously, after the fight. Um, friend of the show on the intro every week. Now 38-14 and 14 with two draws. It was for the WBC International Super Welterweight title. First time he's ever been stopped. He said that he's working with a new corner um, a new trainer uh, from Mexico City, and it was their first fight together. And basically, he said he was completely fine, wasn't hurt at all, and his corner threw the towel in. So I don't know if maybe it's a case of not knowing their fighter um, well enough. I don't know. I haven't seen it, like I say. I'm sure people that are listening, some of you would have seen it and maybe have a completely different view, but he was really annoyed to have been, you know, officially for the first time ever stopped. You know, this is his fourteenth loss, and he he he. I think prided himself on never being stopped, even though he shared the ring with some fantastic fighters. But yeah, he can't say that anymore because this time he was stopped. Tao came in, but he wasn't pleased. Only one round to go. It was just a ten-round fight. But anyway, also on the card we should mention Merim Nusultanov now twenty and oh a unanimous decision over twelve rounds against Julio Alamos. I think that was a late replacement Alamos I think that was supposed to be if I'm not mistaken um, Vincent Feigen but I'm not sure what's going on there but Alamos now 16 and 2 and also on the card Pedro Guevara now 40 and 4 with a draw 
I did say on last week's show that I was a little bit surprised to see Carlos Quadras, the slight underdog. He's now 42-5 and with a draw, and he picked up here what was the vacant WBC Interim World Super Flyweight title, a split decision over 12 rounds there for Carlos Quadras. Moving now to the Manchester Arena in Lancashire, United Kingdom. Let's start with the main event. I think it was the main event. I'm not sure. It was a bit of a weird schedule. It was crazy, actually, because there was five 12-round fights scheduled. Um... I think two 10-round fights and two six-round fights. And that, if I'm not mistaken, equaled 92 rounds of boxing if every fight went the distance. I said it's going to be a late finish um, if these fights start going the distance and literally all but one went the distance. So there was 85 rounds of boxing on one card there. Um Many fights went the distance, but like I say, let's start with this one here. Nick Ball now 19-0, and 0, um, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against former world champion friend of the show, Isaac Dogbay, now 24-4. and 4. It was for the WBC silver featherweight title, Dogbay down in the fourth round. Um, really interesting fight, to be honest with you. It was, it was an insanely aggressive start to the fight from... Nick Ball, um, same old, same old, I guess. Um, it was as if he thought he'd just go in there and demolish Dog Bay or something. Uh, Dog Bay was happy early on to invite the, pre- you know, to invite the pressure of Ball, and keep that higher guard up, taking a lot of shots on the gloves. Uh, Nick Ball, I felt, was wasting a lot of energy early on, and Dog Bay was fighting in spurts, but cleverly, especially targeting the body of Ball. You know, Ball's not experienced enough, I don't think, to realise that. Isaac was kind of fighting to a game plan early on. And, um, yeah, Isaac was investing in the body, hoping to slow him down. And I'm sure Isaac had plans to come on strong in the later part of the fight. Um, the, the shocking thing was that, obviously, Ball didn't seem to run out of steam at all. And Ball was actually down in the third round with the last punch of that round. And it was ruled a slip. I thought that was quite a bad call from Victor Lachlan. And round four... Obviously, early on, Lachlan gave account to Dog Bay for what seemed like a bit of a dodgy knockdown. Um, it seemed to me that, you know, the referee was a little bit against Isaac Dog Bay. Nick Ball was continuing to put everything on his shots. And I was just thinking, if Dog Bay can, can soak up this, this pressure and if he can invest in the body like he was trying to do, I was I was thinking Dog Bay could come on strong late on here. You know, he's very, very experienced and, you know, Ball surely will tire the way he's throwing these punches. You know, every every punch was, was thrown with bad intentions. I felt that Nick Ball slowed down a little bit in the sixth round. But he did probably win every round up to that point. And I don't think, you know, I don't think Dog Bay came to win the fight on points anyway. And I felt that you could you could evidently see that by the way he was boxing. But to Ball's credit, I don't know if he kind of slowed down about round six, round seven, then came back with a second wind. Or what? But to his credit, he was super fit, and I just couldn't believe it. You know, a guy, a guy coming in there against a very experienced former champion and throwing, you know, huge punches from the first bell to the last bell. And like I say, Dog Bay had his moments here and there, but wasn't really enough to do anything. You could probably give him maybe two rounds, maybe three at a push. It was very much dominated by Nick Ball, and I tell you what. You know, I've become a much bigger believer in Nick Ball here. I always thought, you know, that he he could do this. He could win this fight. I don't think I was expecting Isaac to pull off an upset. I thought that, 
you know, it's going to be a, a tricky one to pick. But yeah, very impressed with Nick Ball. And um, yeah, you know, he certainly dominated the fight. And it was it was much less competitive than I thought it would be. So credit to him. Um, what else happened on the card? Let's move down it to this one here. Oh yeah, this was a real shock as well. Yeah, God, oh God, oh God. Um, Denzel Bentley now 18-3 and three with a draw. He lost a majority decision over 12 rounds to Nathan Heaney, who's now 18-0. and oh. He's also now the new British middleweight champion. Um, a huge shock, a huge, huge shock, and a painful blow to the boxing betting group that I'm running, because Denzel Bentley was pretty much in every single bet, you know, all the all the accumulators, all the parlays, and, um, you know, destroyed them all, because I expected Bentley to win that fight, I didn't have any doubt in my mind, I spoke to a few people in the know, and um, they were super confident, they were expecting you know, a knockout perhaps even in the first round for Denzel Bentley, but he was so, so bad, like, I couldn't believe how awful he was on his feet, you know, he, he seemed so sloppy, um, Nathan Heaney, I didn't even think was doing anything spectacular, I just thought, you know, he was keeping his shape better, um, at times, Bentley was trying to draw him in, and when he did draw him in, Nathan Heaney got the better of those exchanges as well, um, the power just didn't seem there for Bentley, which is, you know, which is crazy to say, because he certainly can punch, but it didn't seem like he had the power, he didn't bring it with him up to up to Manchester, um, but yeah, just, I, I'm still lost for words, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for Heaney, because, you know, he came out, really energetic ring walk, as ever, and I just thought to myself, you know, all of this, and in a minute, he's probably going to get stopped, and I was so confident that Bentley would win, and Bentley was awful. Um, what more can I say, you know? Footwork was terrible. Terrible. Um, it was It was, It was. was actually unexplainably bad. Um, and, then, and then after that, he comes out on Twitter, Denzel Bentley, and said something along the lines of L-O-O-O-O-L, what just happened there? And I, I, I just thought, you know, I was quite, quite angry, I'll be honest, like, there's nothing funny about that performance. It was it was terrible. It was it was embarrassing, you know. Um, it, it it was bad. It was really really bad. He's let everyone down. He's let himself down, and you know that's that's his third loss now. You know, in 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 what's he eighteen and three with a draw. Based on that, I'm not in a rush to see him again at all. He goes right down the pecking order now, and Heaney. You know, British champion, 18-0. and 0. Amazing. 18-0, and 0, British champion, a huge ticket seller, you know, showman. Um, he, he, he just, he, he, was, he was better than Bentley in every way. And he's proved a lot of people, including myself, very wrong. And, you know, all I can do is just tip my hat to the guy. I'm very, very, very happy for him. And what a ride this could be, you know? Where does, where does you know, where, what's next? Um, but yeah, deserving British champion, dominated a good champion, and made it look easy. And I don't know who he's going to fight next or whatever, but yeah, credit to him. I hope he can win the, the British title outright. Um, also on the card, friend of the show, Liam Davies, the only man to actually pick up a stoppage on the entire card. Um, he was able to TKO in five rounds the undefeated Vincenzo Lafamina, who's now 13-1. Liam Davies now 15-0. It was for the EBU European Super Bantamweight title. Um, 
really, really happy for Liam Davies because I, you know, we had him on a few weeks ago, and I said to him, you know, you're fighting a guy here who not not many people know. Is it hard to get up for these types of guys? And he said, no, no, no. I treat them all, I treat them all the same. The end goal is to win a world title, and basically, you know, this is just another guy in the way of that. Um, so yeah. I would have thought it, it might have been a little bit hard to get up for this guy, but yeah, I mean, he's the only guy to get a stoppage, so credit to him. Lafamina down once in the third round, once in the... Oh yeah, put he, he got put down in the third round, then got back up, and then Liam Davies got a bit reckless trying to finish him, and then walked onto a shot and got put down himself. That was mad, but I could tell straight away, wasn't hurt or anything like that. Goes back to his corner, Liam Davies, um, and then obviously comes out in round four, puts Lafamina down again, and then gets the stoppage in round five. Good stoppage from the referee as well. I uh, don't know who the referee was, to be honest with you. I don't think he was a British referee, but good stoppage. I thought he was on the on the ropes, taking a bit of punishment, Lafamina. But to be honest, I wouldn't mind seeing him again. He was a tough guy. He was like a complete nutcase. Came out there swinging, um, you know, <laughs> and he's got a great chin. He's got a great chin, and he's, you know, he's very brave. Didn't stop coming forward, to be honest with you. He just kind of got overwhelmed for you know, for a, for a few moments, and that's when the referee waved it off. I mean, he's probably in his rights to moan about the stoppage, but from where I was standing, it looked it looked like a good one. But what a nightmare he could be for some other guys. Hopefully we see him back here. Uh, also on the card, another big upset, Echo Esserman, now 19-1. and one. He lost um, a, a, a uh, I think it was, was it unanimous? Um, theory me, just lost it. Uh, yeah, unanimous decision to Harry Scarf, who's now 13-2. and two. He's now the new British and Commonwealth and IBF European welterweight champion, Harry Scarf. Um, amazing win for him. Amazing win against Echo Esimon, who, again, was very disappointing. Um, Scarf, you know, so, so awkward. His style constantly switching stances, and he really got the measure of his backhand early on. You know, the much smaller man in Esimon was just kind of struggling to get into range, and when he was trying to get into range, he was taking a nice big right hand, or perhaps a nice big left hand at times from Scarf, depending on which stance he was in. Um, but yeah, he frustrated the life out of Esimon, and Esimon looked really poor. His footwork was awful, and he just couldn't work out Harry Scarf at all. He couldn't put his amazing engine to task, and he was second best by quite some margin. Clifton Mitchell, by the way, in the corner of Harry Scarf, kept telling him he was down. You know, kept telling him in the fight repeatedly that he was down. He needed to win this round. When I don't think he did, I think he was clearly up. And it was an interesting tactic to perhaps keep him motivated, and it seemed to work. I mean, again, I bet on Echo Esserman to win the fight, and I and I wanted him to win, but I couldn't. You know, I can't begrudge Harry Harry Scarf. I think he was amazing. And, you know, again, another upset on that card there. You know, another big upset. And credit to him, he was the much better man on the night. Um, what else did we have? Nathaniel Collins with a win again. A lot of people thought he'd go in there and smash to pieces. Zach Miller had a lot of problems with him. Um, he's now 14. And oh, I don't know if it was quite as close as one or two judges had it, but... Yeah, he was definitely made to work. Um, I did say Collins, I think, over 4.5 rounds, something like that. And obviously that bet come flying in. But unfortunately, um, it was mixed up with a few other things like Denzel Bentley to win and it ruined it all. But they expected Nathaniel Collins to go in there and stop Zach Miller early. Zach Miller hadn't even been in the ring with anyone with a winning record. 
and he put in a good performance. Brave guy. Nathaniel Collins, 14-0. Zach Miller, 13-1. and um, Miller, oh, sorry, Collins, still the British and Commonwealth featherweight champion. Uh, also on the card, Hannah Rankin with a loss, another loss. She's now 13-7. and She thought she did enough, but the winner, Emma Cosin in the other corner, now 24-1 and with a draw. A split decision win over 10 two-minute rounds for the vacant WBC and vacant WBO World Super Welterweight titles. Uh, but yes, a fight to forget, to be honest. Wasn't very entertaining. Hannah Rankin. Um, yes, another loss. I mean, she just keeps on coming, doesn't she? She's almost like a bit of a journey woman that's kind of fringe world level, maybe. I don't know. It's 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 a tough one. Um, Solomon Dakers as well in his Queensbury debut. Another boring fight. I'll be honest, I didn't actually watch it. I think he got a point deducted late on in the fight, if I'm not mistaken, but still managed to win a majority decision over 10 rounds he's now 8 and 0 michael webster he was undefeated 9 and 0 he's now 9 and 1 like i say lost a lot of people felt that webster did enough again didn't actually watch it cuz I, I i you know it clashed with the with the sky card i think i may have been watching adam azim at the time weren't going to be watching Solomon dakers over adam azim unfortunately um, but yes, yeah, some people felt Webster won. I don't know. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at BoxHard underscore podcast. Moving now to the York Hall Bethnal Green London. Friend of the show, Casey Kadami with a win. He's now got double figure wins. He's 10 and 1 with two draws. A TKO for him in just the second round against Salamani Bangaiza, who's now 19 and 9. Bangaiza down prior to the stoppage. It was for the uh, vacant. IBO Intercontinental Super Flyweight title. Um, like I say, happy for Kadami. Very nice guy. Uh, Rich Richie Sawyer in the corner with him as well. Uh, just having a little look. Um, yeah, Bangaiza was was took out in two rounds by Andrew Maloney back in 2019. Good for Casey Kadami to do that. His match, what a former world champion has done there. All the best to him. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? Uh, yeah, moving now to the Civic Hall in Wolverhampton, West Midlands, United Kingdom. This one was the Sky card. Uh, let's touch on the undercard. Dylan Chima with another loss. He's now 9-2. and two. It's only his second loss, but yeah, he lost to journeyman Robin Zamora. Um, you know, there was a lot of people betting on Zamora. I think he opened up as quite a big underdog. Then he, it tightened up a little bit, actually, because uh, people were just, you know, putting big amounts of money on Zamora because they don't think Chima's that good. And, yeah, Chima, you know, got bashed up a little bit over six rounds there, lost on points. The rightful winner, Robin Zamora, now 21-24. and 24. Dylan Chima, 9-2. and two. I think he should probably think about a different career, to be honest with you. Also on the card as well, Reese Edwards, now 15-0, and 0, a points win over Brad Foster, now 15-3 and 3 with two draws. Um... Foster cut over the left eye in the second round by a legal punch. Um, I did say Brad Foster could, you know, he's only lost to a couple of decent fighters and he's kind of just disappeared. Um, he could come back here and he was he was an underdog, you know, but he could come back here and get get a win against Reese Edwards, who hasn't really fought anyone on this kind of level just yet. A lot of people felt Brad Foster won the fight. A lot of people, you know, screaming robbery here for Brad Foster, but... Unfortunately, doesn't get the decision, so Reese Edwards with the win. Also on the card, Richard Reakpour, now 17-0, a TKO for him in just the second round against Dylan Bregion, who's now 
13 and 5 with a draw. Bregion down once in round two, his corner through the towel in. I guess in some, I mean, look, it was a completely pointless fight, to be honest with you, but I guess in some ways it was a little bit of a statement, if you like, a mini statement. Dillian Bregion had only been stopped once before, and it was to Mikel Sislak. He'd been over here to the UK, been in there with Chris Billam Smith, been in there with Isaac Chamberlain, lost on points both times. Chris Billam Smith's gone on to become a world champion and went 12 rounds with him, you know, and Richard Riakbo's done him in just two rounds. So, you know, in a way, like I say, it's a bit of a mini statement there, but yeah, it was a pointless fight to begin with. Um, also on the card, we saw Adam Azim move to 10 and 0, a TKO for him in round 10 against the Frenchman, the very tough Frenchman, Franck Petitjean, now 24 and 7 with three draws. Very tough guy, had only been stopped once in his six losses, now twice in his seven losses. It was for his EBU European super lightweight title. Petitjean down in the fifth round, down in the tenth round. And also, Adam Azim had a point deducted in round nine for a low blow. He was trying to target the body a little bit too desperately. But yeah, he was brilliant, Adam Azim. Looked fantastic again. Great to see him, you know, back to as good as he's looked in the past. Um, you know, he's moving up levels quite nicely. Um, I think he had a fight earlier on this year where he didn't look too great. But he was back here with a really impressive win. Um, and yeah, he, he just he looked like a cheat code in there. So it was very nice to see him, you know, to see him win there. Also as well, Matteo uh, Matteo Signani, 32 and seven with three draws. Now he was TKO'd in round eight by Tyler Denny, who's now 18 and two with three draws. It was for Signani's EBU European middleweight title. Signani cut in his on the left eye. Um, I don't know if it was. I can't remember if it was from a head clash or a punch. It may have been a head clash. Um, and basically, in the end, Tyler Denny was 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 unbelievable, you know? Um, Tyler Denny went in as the favourite. Signani, though, you could see straight away, didn't come for an easy, you know, for an easy little payday in the UK to lose his title. Came in there, tried to put some hard punches together. And there was a... I only watched a little bit of it. I watched the last few rounds. And Tyler Denny caught Signani in one of the rounds with a big shot and then left himself open and took a massive shot and was on on Bambi legs and kind of had to hold on and, um, you know, evade a bit of an onslaught from Signani. And Tyler Denny, to his credit, did well. He was ducking a lot of shots um, from Signani, making him miss and managed to get through the round, came back out, like I say, and cranked up a few gears. Um, Tyler Denny with his first career stoppage, which is unbelievable to do it on this stage in the biggest fight of his career. Um, don't know him personally, obviously hasn't been on the show or anything like that, but from everyone I spoke to, he's apparently a really top guy. So really over the moon for him. What a win. And, um, yeah, it wasn't easy, to be honest with you. You know, it wasn't easy, but he's he's on a heck of a run at the moment. He seems unstoppable, and, you know, long may it continue if he's a good guy, like I've heard he is. And moving now to the final, uh, what have we got, two cards to mention. Let's start here at the YouTube Theatre in Inglewood, California, USA. This one was live on DAZN. Mark Castro with a T with with a KO in round seven. He's now eleven and zero. He was able to knock out Gonzalo Fuenzalida, who's now twelve and three. Um, he's been stopped in all three of his losses. Fuenzalida also on the card. Maylin Rivas. She lost her WBA World Super Bantamweight title over two over ten two minute rounds. 
A majority decision in favor of Erica Cruz, now 17-2. and two. Um, Cal Yafai, friend of the show, former WBA world champion, banged out in a round. He's now 27-2. and two. Banged out in just one round by Jonathan Rodriguez, who's not even really a puncher. He's now 17-1 and one with a draw. Yafai down twice, and then the referee jumping in and waving it off. It was for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Bantamweight title. Cal Yafai has retired after that fight. I think he knew that he was going to retire before the fight. It didn't really matter how the fight ended, which, you know, whether he won, whether he lost, he was going to retire anyway, apparently. And, um, yeah, to go out like that is a, is a bit, you know, a bit sad to see, to be honest with you. He was a good, you know, good fighter, made a lot out of his career, um, you know, and, you know, he was a good world champion, nice guy, Cal Yafai as well, if you actually know him. Um and, and yeah, like I say, uh, you know, I think he probably knew he was quite shot. And it was like, yeah, he, he knew he didn't have much left. Last time out, he barely won against a fighter that wasn't that good. He was down in the first round in that one. And then, yeah, he was out here again. And, um, and yeah, unfortunately banged out. And that's the end of that. So, um, hopefully he stays retired. All the best to him in retirement. Like I say, good fighter. Sad to see it end like that for him. And the main event, Diego Pacheco, now 20-0, a KO for him in round 9 against the very tough Marcelo Coceras, now 32-6 uh, with a draw. Um, it was for the WBC USA and WBO International Super Middleweight titles. Pacheco cut in round 4 on his cheek, his, his lip was cut in round 7. I think both from headbutts, and Caceres down and counted out in round 9. Um... Impressive from Pacheco, but again, like always, Caceres causes everyone problems. You know, he's in there till he can't take any more. Usually doesn't get knocked out, usually loses on points, but he gives it his all every single time, leaves it all in the ring and provides tests against uh, provides tests against anyone. And it was time for Pacheco to take the Caceres test. And Caceres had his moments in there. You know, he hit Pacheco, I think, in one of the rounds repeatedly with big shots. Pacheco was able to take him to his credit. But like I say, he always asks questions, even if he gets beat. And he asked many, many questions here again. But in the end, Pacheco just had enough to get him out of there in that ninth round. Brilliant win from Pacheco. I'm going to get your take on it, Eddie, just before we bring in our first guest. What did you make of Pacheco? Yeah, uh, I had honestly no idea. This is the first time I've seen this kid fight. First off, I didn't know what weight he was. And I know, like, I know I'm so, like, out of touch. <laughs> it's just messed up. But um, I saw him in the ring, and I noticed he was taller than the guy. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. I didn't even know if he was, you know, a lightweight or whatever. And you don't really notice that. unless I mean, unless you look, and I didn't pay attention to the ref. I didn't really pay attention. I was just watching him fight, right? So I'm watching him, and you know he's you know he's 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 doing some good things, and and the guy that he was fighting though I can't remember his name at this point um was really aggressive and crafty too with a lot with his aggression you know what I mean, and he was making him you could tell him it was making him a little apprehensive to throw shots and I'm I've heard it, Pacheco's a pretty good puncher, um I also didn't know he was only 22 but um. But yeah, so he, so especially for that, the, the maturity I think that I've seen with him too, within the fight and being patient, and then you know um, stepping it up when he needed to. But uh, I didn't, I, I, I didn't really know much about the kid. 
then I watched him and he looked pretty good, you know, pretty decent, pretty good skills, but the uppercut he landed and how he landed it off of this, off of this, off of the, uh, I think he threw a right hand, then he rocked off and it ripped that right, right uppercut right up under the guy's arm, caught him clean. It was a beautiful shot. And even though the guy had been tough all night and been giving him trouble, he stayed down on that knee. He knew what, what the count was. He knew, you know, that he could get up. He just didn't want to. And damn, out of nowhere, it was that he just got him out of there. But but I was impressed with him. And then I'm seeing him stand around after the fight. And I'm watching him talk to Chris Mannix. And I'm like, wait, Chris Mannix is tall, man. Ain't he 6'5 or 6'4? So I look and then I see Eddie Hearn. And I'm like, Eddie Hearn's 6'5. I know he is. He's a fucking tall guy. And I look and I'm like, wait, this guy's 168 pounds. How tall is this motherfucker? I was like, yeah, he's, what is he? Man, I find out he's six four, six five. I'm like, what? At one sixty eight, and I'm like, I was, I had no clue. I had no clue about this kid. You know what I mean? All I knew is yeah, I heard his name a couple times when we did the podcast, and I never really got a chance to watch him fight. So I guess I got to do my homework a little bit more, Joe. That's, that's all I have to say. But um, he's um, he's actually a, 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 another player in the division. I mean, in, in boxing, and I think he's a super middleweight, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right, Joe? Yeah. Super middleweight. Yeah. So, I mean, man, um, there's a, there's a lot going around. There's a lot of talent out there. Boxing is definitely in a good place as far as the guys that are out here. I just hope that he can keep continue to get better and, and add to the great crop of uh, young fighters that are out here. Yeah. Like I say, another box ticked for young Diego Pacheco, uh, getting in there with Martin Caceres. That was the name that evaded you. Caceres, sorry, not Martin Caceres, Marcelo Caceres. He almost evaded me with the first name, but yeah, always provides a stiff test to whoever he fights Caceres. And yeah, the final card to mention of the review part, uh, it took place just yesterday. Haven't had time actually to check it out just yet, but it went down at the Newcastle Entertainment Centre in Broadmeadow, Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. Over here, top of the bill, Nikita Tsu, son of Costa Zoo. He's now 8-0. He was actually down in the first round against the undefeated 10-0 Dylan Biggs. Uh, he was down in the first round, managed to get up off the canvas and win by TKO in the fifth. That one was for the Australian super welterweight title. So, Nikita Su with a good win there showed, you know, showed a bit of heart there. That famous Su heart. Um, and yeah, you know, a lot of people... Well, this kind of two two different sides of the argument. Some people saying he's not, you know, he's he's not quite, you know, as good as maybe Tim Sue. I think it's a little bit early to, to to be saying things like that. But a lot of people saying, yeah, he's he's kind of answered a gut check here, and maybe he has the ingredients to go far in the sport. But like I say, there's always that you know that negative bunch as well that like to say, hmm, I'm not so sure on him. Even though he got knocked down, got back up, and won by knockout, hmm, not so impressed. So yeah, you can't please everyone. But anyway, that brings the review part to a close. It's now time to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the hard-hitting super lightweight contender. It is, of course, Mr. Keith Hunter. Keith, welcome back on the show, my man. Man, it's, it's good to be back on the show. Man, my longtime friend, Joey. Bats hard. There we go, there we go. So, yeah, it's been a long time, Keith. It's been a long time. We last spoke back in May of last year. At that time, you'd just beaten Demarius Driver. Since then, not much has happened. You haven't boxed. What's been going on, my man? Uh, 
Yeah, bad, bad. Um, Vince has been uh, following me for six years, even before I fought Demarius Driver. Um, I've just been going through a bad promotional agreement um, with this guy named Greg Cohen. And uh, he's worse than Don King, just to put him out there, because I can legally talk now more than I could. So you're the first one I'm talking about it. I'm a little uh, kind of iffy, but um, long story short, um, I've been in this. I signed a promotional agreement with Greg Cohen, who um, is a Jewish boxing promoter, but he is a falsified. Well, he was a uh, promoter, but he's been um, not having the best name uh, in boxing. So a lot of other promoters kind of put him on the blacklist. And when they put him on the blacklist, since I was signed to him, his name rolled over to my name, meaning uh, people didn't want to deal with me because they knew I was signed to Greg or at a certain point. And he's been kind of falsifying signatures and, 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 and pushing the contract that we originally had. He was lying to other promoters and convincing them that he still had me. But... Now that's behind me. I legally got him off of me. I'm a free agent. Uh, I have no bindings to anyone or anything. So that was one of the reasons that um, after the Demarius driver fight, I wasn't. I sat on the the shelf for about almost two years now. It's just really with those details. It's just due to bad promotional agreement. Yeah, because I remember speaking to you in the past, obviously, you know, um, over text or whatever. And yeah, there were times where I felt that you were very inactive. And you mentioned Greg to me in the past, just briefly. We never went into it kind of in, in deep detail. But you, you, touched on it, you touched on it there saying about false signatures. Is that really how bad it was? Is, is there more you can tell us? I didn't know about this. I, n I never knew it was this bad. He, he can't even be in the ballpark of Don King because of how dirty he is. Falsifying signatures, um, lying, put, uh, falsifying complete documents that he's made, and then also falsifying a fight with Gary Coley that I thought I had. And um, he wanted me to... He fixed this whole contract against Gary Coley. And the reason I found out that it was a fake... Con tried to get me to sign a paper um, giving more 75% off of my likeness and, and everything I make, um, which I never signed that document, but I found I had it looked at an attorney and they basically told me that this is a, this is a document for him trying to, you know, lock you in for a few more years. And he tried to disguise it between a fight between me and Gary Coley. The only reason I found that out is to, technology nowadays i go to gary coley he's based out of ireland and i say hey um i'm just trying to confirm my promoter says he has a fight um with you is that true and gary coley says he's never even heard he's heard my name but he's never ever ever even got a contract or nothing so that gave me enough proof to realize that greg cohen had tried to get me to sign papers so he can keep you know fucking me you know and i I didn't, you know, so that it, it's so much to, to the story that I'm, I'm, I'm only going to, I can only give you bits and pieces because, 
Um, number one, it'd be kind of a long time. It was six years. Number two, it's I think it's uh, such a good story that when I do make it, um, this this thing that's been happening to me um, is kind of like the Rocky story. So you know, I I just got to be able to tell it in in a right manner and everything. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I will I will I'll say this because you were saying Gary Coley. I was I was wondering who that was. Gary Cully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who. You're talking oh, about. I'm sorry. Yeah, I pronounced it Cully. Cully. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He's fighting this weekend. He's a friend of the show. He's been on before. Um, so my last question on that, Keith. Does does um Mr. Cohen owe you money? You know, he's messed up my career. I would have already been made a million dollars and I would have been a champion already or at least definitely fought for the title a few times. So he, he, in my mind, you know, I until I press legal actions, but right now, you know, I got to fight. I got too much things. I got to get an attorney. I will be following suit between me and you on, on record too um, to where, yeah, he, he's messed up my career. So, he does. He's broke. He doesn't even got money. So even if I did, if I did sue him and I win, they're probably just gonna put a lien on on any of his assets. So that's one of the reasons I'm not trying to go for. I'm trying to. If I sue him, I'm trying to get like 10, 15 million. But he already has. Um, he's lost um, a class act lawsuit to a heavyweight Canadian guy who's who he had signed. I forget his name. Um, but he won 1.2 million against Greg Cohen. And that was on record, and it's um, that was a while back. And then now, currently, his Jewish best friend um, Barry Monig, for the record, he he beat him Barry out of a lot of money uh, because he was using Barry as a financial backer. And um, Barry finally found out through me that um, Greg Cohen was fucking him of a lot of money. Or just taking, uh, having him thinking he was investing in his boxing adventures and that he would give it back. But when Greg Cohen, it was time for Greg Cohen to give it back, he always lied. So he must have stole, I don't know, a lot of money from Barry. So Barry filed right now. This is happening right now. Barry is suing Greg Cohen currently right now for losses and damages um, for him. So he's he's already tied up. He has so much on his plate. He can't even really maneuver with me or any other fighter necessarily at this moment. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Happy to hear that it's all kind of in the past a little bit, and uh, hopefully you can now focus on the next part of your career, the next chapter. I do just want to touch on you took part in this team combat league stuff, which still kind of blows my mind. The one round fights. Um, how was your experience with that? Just briefly before we move on. Um. The politics or the, the art side or just everything? Everything. Um, man, that's a good question. Um, from the art side, so I'll start from the art side and then do the politics. The art side, um, me going in one round, um, I realized one round, three minutes goes by quick when you're really a 10-round, 12-round fighter. Um, you will give away one round. Like for instance, I if I had to educate other fighters was who might be even trying to compete, which I wouldn't say y'all should go in Team Combat League personally. But if you did, since you're only fighting for three minutes, 
I remember I tried to move my head for 60 seconds and I almost lost the round, you know? You don't even have time to move your head. It's it's really just kind of like a straight up and down. You know, you you got you can box a little bit, but you're you're really just trying to catch the guy with shot. You don't have that much time. So that kind of made it interesting. I was able to adjust during the ending of the season to where I can it's like, okay, I can take out certain attributes that I have as a fighter of moving my head and using angles because if I wanted to win that round at that time, I just had to put more volume of punches instead of being strategic there. You, you almost don't have no time to be st real strategic. It's just whatever you're preloaded with, however you currently fight, you just get out there for three minutes and you just show what you got. So that kind of made it a different way of approaching it. Um, from the politics side of Team Combat League, look, you're getting it again. This is the first time you're getting it. I'll, I'll air it out a little bit. Team Combat League, the politics, they still owe me $2,500. Um, the owner, Ahmed, he overpromised and underdelivered on everything to where season two, you will not see or hear Ahmed at all when he was the face of the Team Combat League. There, there is a lot, a lot of, not only me, a lot of fighters, the majority of the fighters on first season, everybody got underpaid. Some people barely got paid. If you, whoever goes in there now, they're gonna not really get paid. Like the, they don't, they don't have money genuinely to do what they're saying they're doing, um, based off of my 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 um, experiences with them. It wasn't really the best. I wasn't really happy. You know, I felt damn near like a slave worker going in there. I did it really for some money, and then the money wasn't even. It was twenty five hundred a fight, uh, which is okay for three rounds, but then. When it took two months, three months for them to pay, you know, it, it was it was it was really just it, it didn't look like anything of what it was on the outside looking in or from the inside looking out. You know, if you were actually in the circus show, I felt like I was a, a worker, you know, a slave and I, I didn't even get paid, really. And I still they still owe me twenty five hundred dollars that they're not going to pay me so that the whole league is is full of shit. You know, to, just to be quite frank with anybody who's ever listening about the league, if you guys get in the league, I promise you, whoever gets in this league will be fucking sorry because they're going to fuck you or do something that you're not going to like. So do it if y'all want to. I ain't trying to stop nobody from doing anything, but my that's just my experiences. It was it was all bad. Damn, man. There's been a lot of negative stuff going on in, in, in your career recently. Um, but yeah, let's look to the more positive stuff. Let's get to it. Your <laughs> next your, your next fight's been, been announced finally. You'll be boxing on December 9th in Florida as part of that Ramirez Espinosa undercard. You'll be boxing the undefeated Rohan Polanco. Keith, what do we know about Polanco? Uh, I think he's approximately standing around 5'8 or 5'9". I think his reach is approximately like 68. It's right under 70. I'm standing at six foot and at, I think, a 78 reach. So the stature between me and him, there is a, 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 a nice little gap there. Outside of his stature, how he fights as a fighter, he is, it seems like, unless he's evolved, it seems like he sits back kind of with the Philly shell, the Mayweather defense, and he doesn't mind kind of going second because he feels he's confident in his counterpunching abilities and that he seems not like a real 
tough pressure fighter. Not to say he won't put no pressure on you, but he tries to be a little calculated and whatnot. And I also, if he gets desperate, he leaps in with left hooks and overhand rights because he's not the taller, longer guy. Or he's going to do that with me, most likely. So I kind of, I, I, I got a few things on him. And obviously, Polanco was one of those guys that turned pro, but then went back and fought in the Olympics as an amateur. Um, he was a decent amateur, to be fair to the guy. As a pro, though, this will be his biggest step up. How confident are you that it will be too big of a step for him? <laughs> um, confidence. Man, confidence is a good tool. Confidence helps you but I don't want to be, to be believed or I don't want to be too confident confidence or emotions would help you how confident am I I don't want to be necessarily too confident and I don't want to believe in myself as weird as that sounds I want to ride on a higher frequency than confidence and belief if I statistically tell you my last fight I throw a thousand punches and I'm standing uh, and fighting at a buck 35 or buck 40 and I'm um, six foot, and I throw a thousand punches. You know, um, I throw a volume. I'm like Paul Will. I throw a lot of punches. For him to be counter punch, a counter punch, counter puncher, volume of punches on a counter puncher. As long as I'm not falling in on my punches and I'm not sloppy and they're coming and I'm staying tall and they're coming out of good angles and everything, uh, I'm gonna overwhelm him just with the sheer volume. And then I'm not the biggest, biggest puncher. But I am like Tommy Hearns as far as like when I, it's only going to take a, I, when I, if you, if, if I got 10 rounds with you, you're not going to really, it's going to be hard if I keep putting my right hand on you or my left hook. So um, I do know that I am going to hurt Rohan. I'm going to hurt him for sure. Um, I just don't, I feel like I can, I have the ability to take him out, but um I'm definitely going to be a lot for him. I'm going to overwhelm him. It's going to be hard for him to get past my arms. And, and Keith, um, are you in any way concerned about the fact it's been almost 17 months since you were last in a fight scheduled for more than one round? And also the fact that this man has had four fights in that time that you've been out? Uh, yeah, um, you always want to look at that um, as far as if, if a fighter is more uh, active than you and you have been inactive, I mean, ring rust is a thing for sure. You know, if you don't use your tools, you, you know, you don't, you kind of forget how and when and how sharp they are and when, when to use them. But, um, me personally, um, um, since I did go through the team combat league thing, I did do that also for me since I was inactive in actual boxing that did give me a little bit to look to look at, you know. That gave me just enough, even though I wasn't active. I ain't had, he had four fights while I haven't had zero in the last how many amount of time. The team combat league was also good for me to just get my, even though I was fighting one round, it was able, it was I was able to kind of see where my tools was and and things. So that kind of did help me kind of still stay um, sharp within myself. But um, outside of that Team Combat League, um, I, I'm in the gym. The closest thing you can, if you don't really get a chance to actually fight on uh, a professional setting under those lights, the best thing that you kind of can do as a fighter 
um, I would advise people is just the closest thing you can do is actual fighting is sparring, you know? So I know sparring is not fighting, but you know, there's a lot of men's careers that actually end by just sparring, you know? So it's like, you're not getting paid for it, but I'm a person that if I spar, if I say it sucks because when people, I say I sparred Javante Tank Davis and then people out there is like, it's just sparring. Well, when I sparred them, I don't give a fuck, excuse my language, I don't care who thinks it's just sparring. I got information about if I fight him for reals, uh, what's gonna happen. So yes, it's just sparring. Yeah, he could have been holding back. He could have blah, blah, blah. But uh, when I was in there with him, you know, I felt every bit of what he had, and I stood on my 10, and I seen that when I gave him, you know, my length and strength, he, he started to he started to break. So I know I could recreate that same scenario in real life with 10, eight, um, eight ounces on. I don't, and my experience is he can dish it, but if there's one person who could take it, I don't think he can take it as much as he's dishing it in my experience. So that's what I've been doing to keep sharp is just sparring um, uh, as much as possible. And you touched on it a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask kind of how do you see this fight playing out? Obviously, um, you, you touched on the fact that Polanco, you know, can be a bit of a counter puncher. You're very mm-hmm. active. I, I see that the fight is scheduled for eight rounds. How do you see it playing out, Keith? Um, uh, again, I don't. We don't know what what Polanco would, is going to come in there. Um, but I do know he's going to be prepared. I do know I'm going to hurt him. Um, it's just to see how how he takes the 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 a punishment. Um, that will let me know certain things. Um, if I had to just make a sheer prediction, uh, he is, also, he is, he has a little bit of power, some pop himself. So it's not going to be a complete, like he will have a moment. I think, um, I'm gonna try not to give him a moment and I'm gonna try to stop him early if I see it. Um, but I do feel like once I heard him, I'll be able to kind of figure out how tough and how durable he is. If I, if I heard him. Um, in the beginning, and I, I really get him, I hurt him bad, and I do a good job hurting him, then I think I have the ability to close the night early, probably within the within rounds of four to six, you know. Um, but if I don't get him, uh, like, real early with just a random shot, or not a random, with just a good shot early, um, then, it'll, like I said, it'll be in those four to six where I, I got to break them down and I hit him with a few right hands, and then he's almost ready to go, you know. So I do see myself stopping this kid, ultimately. I just can't, you know, I just don't want to actually, everybody's confident within themselves. They Everybody's going to say they're going to knock everybody out, but I don't want to try to, I'm trying to be as honest as I can with you guys here. I do see myself hurting him, and I can see myself stopping him. i just not sure of the likelihood of it. Um, if it goes to points, um, I think me being longer and not falling in my, on my shots and me throwing a lot of volume of punches, um, if it goes on points, I think I'll get it on the scorecards too as long as I get fair play, you know. Um, and, I, you know, they, you know I, I'm going in as the B-side, obviously, but there have been times I went in as the B-side and um, against Mayweather show uh, multiple times and um, – I just was able to do a good job of convincing 
the house that it was it was my night. So I think I could do that, you know, on points, and I have the ability to, to hurt him. Absolutely. And I wanted to get your views on one or two other fights. The same night as your fight, we're going to see a really good super fight for me between Devin Haney and Regis Progray. Who have you got in that <laughs> one, Keith? <laughs> I don't really like any of them personally. Um, as just, you're hyped that's up just tonight, case. man. <laughs> I know. Um, Devin, I actually helped him with his homework when um, his dad, his dad's mom, Renee Haney. Um, Renee Haney's a sweetheart. She, I look at her like a grandmother. But it was around the time of Devin. Um, Devin, I know him for six years before he really even put it on gloves. To be honest, you know. Um, but when he was being homeschooled by Renee Haney, um, I was helping him with his homework and everything. So I actually, I actually know Devin Haney and his daddy, Bill Haney, and his daddy's mama, Renee. I know his family. My uncle, and I'm done here with Devin. My uncle, Kevin Henry. Devin Haney is a product of Kevin Henry. The reason I say that is because if Kevin Henry wasn't on this earth, then Devin, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know Devin. And the only reason I can say that is because Kevin Henry trained Devin Haney for approximately 120 amateur fights. And I was there to witness all of it. So um, he's Devin, Devin Haney is a product of my DNA, um, which for a fact, interesting, but he's good. You know, I ain't gonna lie. I, I like the kid. I love the kid. It's just his dad who's a, a former pimp and a gangster who think he's extra hot shit. You feel me? Which I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm a different type of motherfucker now. I'm grown now, so I, I speak different. But, and then Regis, I don't like Regis because I never met him in person or whatnot, but he was inactive and before he got the title back, he was crying saying he wanted to fight. He, he knows what it's like to be inactive and he said, I wish I could I can call everybody out and I wish blah, blah, blah. And I wish I could fight. I'll fight whoever. I'll fight whoever. When he said he's going to fight whoever, I stepped up and he, and, and, and he said he let him. I'm not on his level, um, but let him get the title and he'll scream my name. Well, I had a direct number. I had his actual number and I texted him right before he hopped in the ring on a, before he got the title back. And I said, hey, you know, hold on to your words and, and call my name out. And then that's what he didn't do when he got the title. So, you know, I got his personal number and I, I really, I, I really want to, I really, really, really want to do harm to Regis progress. So I want Regis to lose, not because I like Devin, but Regis ain't shit either. And I can't wait to slap Regis, you know, personally, I, I'm, I will slap him in real life personally, you know, um, when he loses, I will definitely be the first person to still say, hey, if you need a comeback fight, fuck with me, you know? But uh, who do I think is going to win? I think Devin Haney is going to outbox Regis. Regis does have power. He's banking on trying to hurt and knock out Devin. But uh, Devin is a tough little boy. I've seen him being in the gym. Um, um, Bill had made sure to find out where Devin's chin and heart was. But he still is, you know, he still is. Um, protected so he is possibly going to get caught and can get hurt but um i just see devin i do see devin outboxing and taking the power of regis for sure regis is going to lose for sure 
And my last two questions, we'll try and get through these a little bit quicker. Um, this weekend, Demetrius Andre, David Benavidez, okay. interesting. Okay, uh, for a shorter answer, uh, ooh, I'm I'm going on Boo Boo on that one. Ooh, uh, I didn't expect that, Keith. I didn't expect that. I know. Uh, uh, I know. Uh, well, only because Boo Boo was on the Olympic team with my brother. Um, and David, then, uh, David sparred your brother. I sparred David too, actually, and David did spar my brother. Correct. So, um, Boo Boo only because he's think, still I, a wild card. I think we, I can say it. I think Mike would be cool with me saying it. He said David's the only guy that got the better got the better of him in sparring. He said I need to see him again one day. <laughs> well, he 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 got an out of shape Michael Hunter yeah. who was chilling who wasn't even worried about nothing so you know um i definitely would want my brother because i sparred david you know he was a lot bigger than me but i was faster and i was able to you know he wasn't able to put the power on me but not to say that he can't but you know i found out things about myself through him too i get back in there with him really you know i'm a 30 pounder so for him to fuck with my big brother i'm pretty sure if my brother you know really took him seriously that you know what i mean he he gonna let he gonna put that boy in his place. I don't, you know what I mean? David Benavidez is cool. I respect him and all that. But when you talk about my brother and Keith and Keith Hunter, you know, um, outside of the confidence, you know, I, we, I, instead of saying it, I can't wait till Michael is able to show it. But Boo Boo, Boo Boo, only because of um, to keep it short, Boo Boo, only because I think he is a master at defense and um, he's not going to be hit like the other guys but then <laughs> Benavitez I ain't gonna lie he he's so long and strong and and he's good <laughs> so, I don't I, I I'm gonna just say boo-boo but <laughs> all right man um and yeah I was gonna ask what's going on with Mike but to be honest I've spent quite a long time on the phone with Mike this week um hopefully something soon for him early next year I think we're hearing um, just finally with you Keith any closing words before we let you go to the listeners it's been a wild interview this time sign out with a little message my man um, man I really appreciate you Box Hard um, because you have been really in my corner the majority of my whole career more than other guys and you stay connected so um Man, the brotherhood that I have with you is amazing, and I just appreciate you um, for your time, for your interviews, um, and for the exposure. And um, I appreciate it. It's been a marathon. Um, I know I haven't fought in a while, but I appreciate anybody who's been keeping up with my, my journey inside and outside the ring. <laughs> I've made more noise outside of boxing by knocking – the dude out in the casino than I have inside the ring currently. But um, for people out there listening, me going to go defeat this Rohan Polanco, you guys will be hearing my name and I have a message and, and a story and I hopefully I can share it with you guys all here soon. Absolutely. Listen, Keith, as always, the pleasure is mine, my friend. This brotherhood is something that I feel will last for a long, long time. Thanks for your time today, though. Best of luck for December 9th, and we'll speak again sometime afterwards. Yes, sir, most definitely. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part of the show, because there's no news to go into just yet. If anything happens from now to the end of the show, I will speak about it on the outro. 
But yeah, going on to the preview part, like I say, we're going to start here tomorrow at the Hippodrome Municipal in Nord, France. Over here, we're going to see the defending champion, the WBO World Super Bantamweight female champion, Segaline Lefebvre. Uh, could be saying that wrong, but 17-0 undefeated over 10 two-minute rounds against the UK's Ticey Gallagher, 6-1. Um, I was at Ticey's last fight, I think it may have been. She got in there with Lisa Whiteside, and if I'm not mistaken, and she pulled off the upset. I think she was the underdog. She beat Lisa Whiteside on points. Um, both ladies not really noted as big punchers. You'd expect it to go the distance. I think Ticey is, is a good fighter, very capable of winning here. She is the underdog again, but she's got a great jab, good footwork, and I'm hoping that she can bring the title back to the UK. All the best to you, Ticey. Moving now to the York Hall, Bethnal Green. This also goes down tomorrow. It's going to be live on TNT Sport, a Frank Warren card. Let's start with the... I think it may be the main event, if I'm not mistaken. Not entirely sure what the order's going to be here. But anyway, Mark Chamberlain, 13-0, defending his IBF European lightweight title over two, over 10 rounds against Art Joms Ramlavs, who's 16-2. You may not know the guy by name, but from Latvia, 34 years of age now. He was a good amateur, mixed it with some decent fighters. Um, the likes of, I think he got in there with uh, Joe Caldina, a couple of other guys, um, Shavkat Zomrakamov, um, Josh Taylor, you know, few few good guys. He really mixed it with some with some top level amateurs, Tom Stalker, and many more. But anyway, as a pro, like I say, sixteen and two, he lost his O to Archie Sharp in what was a really tough fight for Archie. Um, that was back in 2019. I was at that fight. And his other loss came when he went on the road to Poland. He boxed a guy called Damian Rosinski two fights ago. And actually, he was announced as the winner. And then he celebrated. And if I'm not mistaken, went back to the dressing room as the winner. And then they went, whoa, 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 actually, you lost. They, they announced the wrong guy. Which was a bit fishy, considering he was boxing a guy from Poland in Poland in a really close fight, and he actually dropped that guy as well. So you could kind of say that wasn't really a loss, but what I'm basically getting at is Mark Chamberlain, he's been looking brilliant of late. Um, you know, he's, he's on a heck of a run. Uh, I think he's knocked out four of his last five or five of his last six opponents. But this guy is a lot better than those types of fighters that he's been in with. So what I'm going to basically say is that I think Mark Chamberlain could win this one on points. I think that's a very big possibility. It's about three to one. I think that's a great little price there. Um, I don't expect that price to last. I'm just looking at it now. 11 to four by decision. Um, that's a great bet. I'd be very surprised if he stopped Ramlavs, who has a very extensive amateur career, like I say, and hasn't been, you know, um, knocked out or anything as a pro. Um, so, yeah, I think that's an interesting fight. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes a distance, which I think is two to one just for the fight, just for the fight to go to distance. So interesting there, but I'll be stunned if Mark Chamberlain stops him and has it all his own way. I think Ramlos is um, is going to be bang up for that fight there over ten rounds. Also on the card, another really interesting fight. We're going to see Henry Turner. Um, 11 and 0 for the WBC International Silver Super Lightweight title over 10 rounds against Billy Allington, who's 11 and 2 with four draws. Um, interesting fight. Allington's very tough. We saw that against Dalton Smith a couple fights back. He's bounced back with a win. Um, 
at York Hall and then he's back here again at York Hall against Henry Turner who for me is kind of improving every time we see him in the ring um good win last time against Tom Farrell and you know I think he's 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 getting better and better like I say um this is probably going to be Henry Turner on points I'd say if I was pushed and I think you can just about double your money for that so again there's, there's some interesting prices here on this card um also we should mention this one as well Ben Fowl is 4-0. It's a six-rounder here against Nikola Stoyanov, who's 4-7, and seven, but only been stopped one time in seven losses. I know Ben Fowles on a bit of a run, three stoppages from his 4-0 and o career. Um, but yeah, this, this guy Stoyanov, he's been to the UK before, uh, fought Khalid Ali, you know, at York Hall a few fights ago. So he's been in the venue before, didn't get stopped that time, and you know, they're expecting him to get stopped here, and there could be some good money there for Ben Fowl to win on points, though I think you'd have to be a bit of a brave man to put that bet on. Just want a little look at those odds there. Ben Fowl to win on points, yeah, 12 to 5. Really good price again, though, I think. Um, on that card as well, we should mention Khalid Ali. We just we, we just spoke about him a moment ago. 6-0. He gets in there with Fernando Mosquera, who's 6-11. Never been stopped in his 11 losses. So, again, you'd expect this one to be Khalid Ali on points. And last but not least, friend of the show, former world title challenger Liam Williams, 24-4 with a draw. He gets in with Florin Cardos, who's 22-5. Um... I'm not entirely sure how many rounds this fight's scheduled for, but yeah, Liam Williams, they're expecting to just go in there and blast this guy out. I know that he was supposed to be boxing Hamza Shiraz. Shiraz had to pull out. Um, that's going to get rescheduled, obviously. I think it may have already been rescheduled. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Liam Williams, it's just a tick over, really. It's a keep busy fight just to stop him from being so inactive. And... Um, yeah, Florin Cardos is 22 and 5. We've seen him before. You know, he's he's boxed over here in the past. Um that could be a complete lie actually. I haven't seen him in the UK, but I've seen him. I remember him boxing Austin Trout only 3 fights ago. It was only back in July of last year. He lost to Austin Trout by majority decision over 8 rounds, you know? So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting that they think Liam Williams is just going to go in there and, and blow him out. The over-under is staggeringly set at just 1.5 rounds. So they're expecting pretty much Liam Williams to bang him out in the first or second round. I think that's mad. You've got to take advantage of that price. Over 1.5 rounds is 8 to 13. Um, okay, that's it for that one. Moving now to the free arena in Dublin, Ireland over here. A few fights to mention. Let's start with... Again, the undercard. Um, yeah, let's start with this one. It's a heavyweight fight here. We're going to see Thomas Carty, 6-0, 5 KOs. He gets in there with Dan Garber, who's 5-1. and one. Um, This, this, you know, this, it could be interesting. I haven't seen Dan Garber before, I'm going to be totally honest. But he's a southpaw, 6'5", from the UK. Um... Yeah, got a stoppage last time against a guy who was 3-0. I know Thomas Carty's obviously, you know, he's the home guy. Um, he's, a, he's a southpaw as well, so two southpaws squaring off here at heavyweight. Um, I, I can't add too much to it, to be honest with you. It could be interesting just for Garba's size, but that's about it, really. Also on the card, Zelfa Barrett, 29-2. and It's an eight-rounder for him. He gets in with Costin Ion, who is 10-4 with two draws. Never been stopped in his four losses. Been in there with Akib Fiaz. He lost to him on points last time, but he had Fiaz down in round six. Um, 
should be an easy straightforward win that really for Zelfa Barrett also on the card friend of the show Sky Nicholson 8-0 gets in with Lucy Wildheart who's 10-2 it's over 10 two-minute rounds for the WBC interim world featherweight title friend of the show Gary Cully as well 16-1 gets in with Reese Mould 18-1 it's over 10 rounds um Again, Gary Cully looking absolutely fantastic until his last fight when he got banged out in three rounds on the undercard of Katie Taylor and Chantel Cameron the first. And now he's back. Same arena. Very next fight. Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron two. And, you know, he hasn't had a nice little easy comeback win in the meantime. He's straight back in. Same venue. Same crowd. And he gets in with Reese Mould, who's a capable fighter. Like I said, 18-1. and one. His one loss was to Lee Wood, who we know went on to become a world champion. Uh, that was back in 2021, in February, that loss. He, he got TKO'd in the ninth round. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, he's come back with five wins since then, all on points. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting just to see how Gary Cully looks. I mean, it's interesting. Gary Cully to get a stoppage is four to six, and those odds would have never been that if he didn't get stopped himself in his last fight. He was banging everyone out. He was looking great. I think he's what six foot two. Gary Cully, six foot two, southpaw at lightweight. You know he's a freak, but um, just just kind of comes down to where his confidence is at. I think um, on his best day, you'd say he's got too much for Reese Mould, but it could be interesting, and I still think. Four to six, you've got to take advantage of that price. I think it's, you know, it's a cracking price in all honesty. Also on the card as well, Paddy Donovan, the home fighter, eleven and zero, gets in with Danny Ball, who's thirteen and one with a draw. That's over ten rounds there at welterweight. Another interesting one. I mean, Danny Ball is quite a sizable underdog, but I don't think he's a bad fighter. I'd be very stunned if Paddy Donovan makes it look easy. I think this one will probably go the distance, and I think Danny Ball has got half a chance of winning the fight. I think he's, you know, he's massively overpriced. He's a big underdog, and I don't quite understand why he's such an underdog. We'll have to wait and see, but that's that's an interesting one there. Um, just want to quickly check that price as well. Danny Ball is just to win the fight by any method, nine to two. I think that's massively overpriced there Paddy Donovan one to seven and the main event obviously the rematch for all the super lightweight world titles the undisputed rematch uh Chantel Cameron 18 and 0 friend of the show Katie Taylor 22 and 1 IBF IBO WBA WBC and WBO world titles obviously I'm a little bit biased Chantel um sent me a t-shirt the other day that said you know team Cameron um, undisputed across the across the shoulders, so yeah, she's a friend of the show. She's my favourite female fighter in boxing period, and I expected her to win the first fight when a lot of people didn't. And you know, she's now the favourite in the second fight. The bookies are expecting her to win this one, and once again, I think it's going to be repeat. Um, I don't see a stoppage. In all honesty, I think Katie's got you know a, a really good engine, very tough girl. But um, I think it's going to be more of the same. I just think Chantel, you know, she came on the show a few weeks ago. And she's very honest when, when she does an interview with me. And she was pretty much saying, I'll be honest. I went into that first fight a little bit in awe of, of sharing the ring with Katie. A little bit like just happy to be there. 
and she admitted that and that was quite a big thing to admit to be honest with you because you know that's that's most fighters wouldn't want to tell you that but i think it just goes to show the confidence that she has now by beating katie the first time at home for katie in dublin she's now happy to 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 say that out loud to say yeah i was in awe i was a little bit happy to be there but that's what i'm saying i think that speaks of the confidence that she can come out and admit that now and she she doesn't have that anymore that feeling isn't there she's not in awe of katie anymore she thinks she's better than her she always thought she was better than her but she's now proved to herself and the world that she really was better than her on that night a lot of people felt katie wasn't at her best this is katie's chance at redemption as well it's going to be a great fight i'm very happy for these women as well because you know they haven't had easy careers particularly chantelle cameron she's had a lot of ups and downs still remained undefeated um, you know, she's she's an absolute animal. So um, cannot wait to see this one, and I won't miss it for the world. Um, yeah, all the best to Chantel in that one. I'd say Chantel on points. Um, what else do we have? Let's move on now. Um, yeah, that's that card. Moving now to this one. It's just a very uh, small card here. Going down at the Emperor's Palace in Kempton Park, South Africa. Over here, one fight to mention on Saturday. Um, it is Kevin Lorena, 29 and 2, getting in there with Sinad Gashi, who's 27 and 3. It's over 12 rounds. Um, you know, some people will remember Sinad Gashi. He came over here in the past, come over to, to the UK and boxed Carlos Takam. That one was on the Dillian White Derek Chisora one, no, not one, two undercard, and then, um, Got banged out by Takam. Come back and box Derek Chisora on the Dave Allen Lucas Brown undercard. And um, he lost to Chisora on points. But basically what I'm getting at is this guy Senad Gashi. He's 27 and 3 with 26 KOs. The one thing he can do is bang. And his three losses have come to, yeah, you know, decent fighters. Derek Chisora four years ago, four and a half years ago. Derek Chisora back then was still quite a formidable opponent. Carlos Takam. Uh, five years ago, you know, there's no real shame in that, and his other loss was to Tom Schwartz back in 2018, he got disqualified in that one there, so basically his losses have come at good level, since losing to Derek Chisora in April 2019, he's gone on quite a run, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 fights unbeaten, um, there was a no contest in one of those fights there as well, not sure what happened there, uh, I think his opponent actually got the decision, and then uh, it was a no contest due to a foul drugs test, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, he's knocked out most of those guys there. Um, so yeah, he'll be quite confident getting in with Kevin Lorena. Like I say, 29 and two. It's at home for him in South Africa, but he's a cruiserweight that's moved up to heavyweight. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the biggest puncher, and it's a 12 round fight. So Senad Gashi's got 12 rounds to try and land a big punch, and he could be put away. It wasn't that long ago that Lorena got put away to Daniel Dubois. It was only two fights ago that he lost to him third, third round TKO. Interesting for Senad Gashi, nine to one for the KO. Big price. Um, and then, yeah, coming to the final card to mention, it goes down at the Michelob Ultra Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. It's going to be live on Showtime pay-per-view. It's not a massive card, but there are some massive names. Um, let's start, I think, really, Eddie, we're probably going to talk about pretty much 
maybe all four of the big four fights, or maybe three of them. Let's start with this one, though. Jamal Charlo. Interesting fight. 32-0. He's been out the ring for two and a half years, I believe. Hasn't boxed since, yeah, um, June 2021. No belt on the line here. I don't know what the situation is. I believe he's still WBC World Middleweight Champion. Haven't looked into it too much, but gets in with Jose Benavidez Jr., who's 28-2 and with a draw. Um... You know, Benavidez, as far as I was aware, has never boxed at the weight, which I think is a bit of a joke. Um, his last fight was sort of kind of made, you know, it was like a catch weight, if I'm not mistaken. It was like above 154, but under 160. He ended up weighing in at like 158 and a half pounds. Um, he beat a journeyman, really. Um but yeah, gets in with Jamal Charlo. The only danger for Charlo is his own inactivity, where his own mindset is right now. You know, hasn't boxed for quite a while. He's done a few kind of strange interviews. It's hard to gauge where his head's at. If he's on his game, this this is a whitewash, in my opinion. And even still, you know, he's never lost a fight, Jamal Charlo. He's, he's, he's widely viewed as the better of the two Charlo twins. That's up for debate, but... The fight itself, Eddie, um, really and truly, Jose Benavidez, yeah, he's been he's been nice and active, whereas Charlo hasn't, but this is this is up at middleweight here. Thoughts? I mean, interesting fight, you know, uh, to say the least. I mean, both guys are at the top of boxing. Both guys have been, I think, somewhat inactive. I know Charlo has definitely been inactive, hasn't fought in a couple of years. So um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, obviously, you got to favor Charlo. I mean, he's undefeated. You know, I mean, he, he did. He's you know, he done good work in every fight I've seen him in for the most part. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody has a bad night uh, every now and again, but he's been pretty good. So, you know, I've. But Benavidez, I don't know. He, he's he's one of those guys is supremely confident. At least he shows it. You know what I mean? He makes it. He makes it seem that way. Um, he 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 wants to come in. He wants to you know he wants to control uh, the atmosphere. You know he wants to control the fight. Obviously, more, you know what guy wouldn't in this situation. But um, he's he's an interesting guy. You know what I mean? Uh, he was in uh, he was in um, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Creed three, right? If I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he got some acting in there too. I don't, I hope that his personality is not <laughs> is not a it's not an acting job, nah, nah. But uh, I think it's I think it's gonna be interesting. I think you know both guys are hungry to get you know to get back in there and and show that they belong. Jose Benavidez, I think, probably has even more to prove, you know, because he's he's taken a couple losses. He's 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 lost. He got you know he got stopped by Crawford, uh, even though he was in there trying to give his best effort. But Crawford, you know, it's Crawford is Crawford. So, um. But yeah, he has a lot to prove, and and he has to make people believe. He has to make guys believe that he can he can you know be a player in um, in boxing, especially now being up at a different weight than he's been before. So, going to be very interesting. I'm I'm obviously going to favor Charlo in this, but uh, he's been inactive, so we really don't know what version of him we're going to see when we get in there, when he gets in there. But I'm I'm hoping it's a bad, hoping I'm hoping it's a good one. I'm hoping for a great fight, and I think we'll get that. Yeah, interesting that you touched on Jose Benavidez's um, inactivity there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, his record is 28-2 and with a draw. He got to 27-0, and and then 
He's had four fights since then, right? Two losses, a draw, and a win. And the win was against a journeyman in his last fight, if we're going to be honest. Um, he boxed Crawford in 2018, got stopped. Then he took three years out the ring, come back with a draw against Francisco Torres, who's not that great, come back and lost a majority decision to Danny Garcia, and then come back and knocked out this guy, Sladan Janjanin, um, who'd been stopped. Uh, I think he's been stopped 11 times in his now 17 losses. He's not a good fighter at all. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, Benavidez has literally won one of his last four fights. Um, and also, one other interesting thing that Jose Benavidez came out with this week, he said he sparred uh, Errol Spence in the in the recent past, if I'm not mistaken. And he said, I've got the footage of it, but I've never posted it. But let's just say Terence Crawford's not the only guy to have dropped Errol Spence. That's what he said. So... I don't know. I don't, not many people believe in what he's saying, but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see, Eddie, and see. We, we don't know if that acting career is leaking into the boxing. We don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to call him a liar, but um, interesting comment at least, and the, the boxing world's talking about it. Um, that's over ten rounds, by the way. It's a ten rounder, not a twelve. Um, moving up the card, we're going to see Hector Luis Garcia, sixteen and one, defending his WBA World Super Featherweight title against Lamont Roach Jr., who's twenty-three and one with a draw. Um, I don't really care too much about this fight here. I mean, Lamont Roach, like I say, all the best to him. Wouldn't mind seeing him win. Um, I remember him losing his O to Jamel Herring back in 2019. Since then, he's put together four wins in a row. Hector Luis Garcia, however, coming off a loss to Javante Davis, um, obviously stepped up a weight to take on Davis, ended up getting stopped there, and now he's back down at his, you know, his preferred weight where he still managed to hold on to a belt that entire time. Um, so, yeah. Made a best man win there. Moving up the card, this one will definitely be exciting, Eddie. We're going to see Subriel Matias, 19 and 1, 19 KOs. The one loss came to Petros Ananyan, who he went on to avenge it and stop him. His last four opponents in a row have all retired on their stall. That is some statistic. He gets in though with Shojohan Ergashev who's 23 and 0, 20 KOs from Uzbekistan, these days living in Detroit, Michigan. Um and I remember Ergashev when he boxed um Michael Fox. I thought that one was it was a very close fight. I thought Michael Fox might have nicked it. But, um, yeah, that was the one fight where he didn't look too great. And that is one of the few times that he's, you know, gone the distance. Like I say, he's only gone the distance three times in 23 fights. Um, he likes to get it done early. Uh, I think the bet here is that the fight just probably won't go the distance. You know, that's 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 probably what we have to say. Because both guys can really, really, really punch. Um, and, yeah, it should be noted as well, Ergashev... Um, I thought he'd actually medaled at the Olympics. I don't think that was the case, maybe. Okay, anyway, should be a good one. Don't blink. And uh, yeah, that, that that one, I think, could could be fight of the night on that card. And yeah, the main event, I'm going to come to you first, Eddie. David Benavidez, El Bandera Roja. Um, a little-known statistic is that the guy has never lost a fight in his entire life. He went through his amateur career undefeated, and he's... Uh, He's an undefeated pro, 27-0. No belt on the line, 12 rounds, super middleweight. Demetrius Andrade, 32-0. 
both guys friends of the show. Um, I don't really sort of care who wins. Um, I'm an Andrade fan. In some ways, I'd like to see him win just because I think there's so many guys that, you know, for whatever reason, like to get on him and kick him. And I don't really know why. I think Andrade, when you get to know him, has got a cracking personality and he's a brilliant trash talker. I'm a really big Andrade fan. Like, I think he's, you know, I rate him a lot, both in and outside the ring. Hasn't really had it easy, you know. Opportunities have been hard to come by. I think in some ways he's been avoided, but I don't think he's done himself many favours at the same time. I think he went on, you know, a little kind of um, mission to get a fight with Canelo, and that was all he was really interested in. Canelo obviously did the famous payday, payday uh, quote, and that was it, you know. Andrade went back to kind of being a bit of a joke for all kinds of unfair reasons. Um, but yeah, good fighter. The only problem for me is that I don't think Andrade really and truly should be up at this weight. Again, he's had one fight at the weight, completely toyed with Demond Nicholson, didn't stop him, but completely toyed with him in, in, in his one fight at the weight. But this is a massive step up against David Benavidez, who we know, Eddie, is such a dangerous fighter. Um, you know, the taller guy. The, the much harder puncher, way better, you know, way more suited to the weight. As much as I like Andrade, I can't see it going his way. Um, Benavidez as well. I really like Benavidez. He's one of them guys, you know, I've interviewed him several times and he's, he's a really, really cool guy. He's one of them guys, if you were picking a street fight team of boxers, he'd be one of the first guys you'd want on your team. Um, he's a savage. He is a real savage. And I like him just as much as I like Andrade. But um, yeah, like I said, I think I think this is going to be Benavidez's time here. Uh, it's going to be another brilliant name for his record. And I just hope he gets the credit. If he, if he goes in there, especially if he stops Andrade, I think he deserves a heck of a lot of credit. Because Andrade, like I say, he's been around for such a long time, starved of opportunities, hard to promote. For whatever reason, it's been a difficult job with him. And he gets this big fight that he's been wanting for for about 10 years now. And uh, has it just come a little bit too late for him? I don't know, Eddie. What's your thoughts on it? Because for some reason, my mouth can't stop moving. <laughs> Understandably so, man. This is this is an appetizing fight. Um, would have been so much better for, for Andrade if it was... You know, some years back, you know what I mean? There were opportunities, there were fights he had where he beat guys who uh, were good names, good fighters, and just for some reason he got put on the shelf and just wasn't able to get the fights. And it's really unfortunate for a guy that talented, man. He was one of the better guys that was around in boxing at the time. And he still has the ability to 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 be one of the top guys. I mean, he has the ability to win this fight. But First of all, like you said, he was at the fight. He was only at the weight one time. You know what I mean? And he didn't fight a guy. But he didn't fight a guy like Benavidez or at that caliber. So it's definitely going to be a much more difficult kind of fight, obviously, just being Benavidez, but not to mention now being at a slight disadvantage with the weight, not being the bigger guy, even though he's a fantastic boxer, has you know great boxing ability, great speed. Will he be able to get the respect of Benavidez? Will he be able to make make him hesitate to come in and and, and unleash that onslaught? That's what really will be will make the difference. They're both, like you said, great guys. 
You know what I mean? Both, both very proud, both, both very, very, very tough, excellent. Both have excellent backgrounds in the amateurs. You know, obviously David Benavidez never lost and Demetrius Andre was uh, an Olympian, if I'm not mistaken, or at least close to it. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot to like in this fight, but I do think that, uh, David Benavidez is going to be the one to carry the fight and bring the fight to Demetrius Andrade. And I think the thing that he's going to have to do is he's going to have to be able to get respect sort of like, um, geez, I can't get his name out right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> the guy, he just had the last fight. Oh my gosh. Um, um, oh, why can't I get his name, Joe? Why can't I get his name? Um, his uh, uh, Benavidez last fight. What is wrong? With me? Um, Good fight. You're gonna say? I think you're Caleb Plant. Was it? Yes. There we go. Caleb Plant. Like Caleb Plant did, he got a little respect, especially early on. His boxing ability showed in that fight, and I think Andrade has that similar ability, and I think maybe equal a punch. But maybe maybe he has a little more. I don't know. But we're going to have to see because it's been a while since he's been in there, especially up at this level. So it's it's going to take it's going to take some doing, you know, but he's going to have to go in there and get respect right away. And uh, then he's going to have to box the fight of his life in order to win it. And I think he's capable of it. I hope he can. You know what I mean? I, like I said, I, I, I respect David Benavidez as well. Uh, you know, I, I just think this is a hell of a fight to put together. I know Andre obviously much more than I do Benavidez, so I would want to see him pull it out and get the recognition he deserves, obviously get another title, and, you know, hopefully uh, continue to do great things in the sport. But great fight, great card. Um, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Should be a real cracker. Cannot wait. Um, so, yeah, good fights on Saturday night there in Las Vegas. It's going to be a late one for UK fight fans. I've, I think you can watch it on Fight TV, if I'm not mistaken. But, obviously, I'll be streaming it somewhere. And then, yeah, earlier on that day with the Chantel Cameron Katie Taylor 2 fight. And, obviously, on the Friday with the TNT card that, that's going down at York Hall. There's a lot to sink your teeth into this week. And it's an exciting one. Women's fights men's fights, world titles, and all and, and all kinds of different fights at different levels. But anyway, that brings the preview part to a close. It's been a really, really long show this time. Sorry if it's been too long. In part one, we did the review part. Then we welcomed our special guest. In part two, there was no news to bring, but we've gone through the preview part in detail. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 423 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge shout-out to this week's special guest, the hard-hitting, super lightweight contender, Mr. Keith Hunter. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in. That's about everything, though, from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.